Thank you so much, Pastor Jason, singers, musicians, beautiful singing this morning, just beautiful. By the way, I did, I told you that uh, uh, Matt and Allison might be here with their kids, and I happened to look back there, and I thought I saw them coming in, did I? Are they back there? Nope. Mistaken identity. All right, you know, we, we sing, I believe, I believe. We, uh, in, in Bible college, they always emphasize methods change through the years. A lot of things change through the years, but the message never changes. And uh, we're still preaching the same message right here today at Gospel as uh, the first pastor preached uh, 80 years ago and the Sunday school teachers taught and uh, we are truly, truly blessed. Uh, the story is told of a little boy who walked, true story, of several miles to Sunday school at, at D.O. Moody's church. And uh, somebody asked him one time, said, you, he, you must pass two or three churches on the way here. Why, did, uh, why do you walk so far to come here? And the little guy said, because they love a feller here. You know, I, I, I want us to be that church that loves the little fellers, little girls, teenagers, senior citizens, moms and dads. I want us to be that kind of church that loves people. People want to come because they sense and feel the love of Christ. And so I, I pray we will continue and always be that kind of church. Well, Luke chapter 15. Are we up there, gentlemen? Oh, there we go, Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're really going to just go ahead and start in verse 1 in just a moment. Three parables here, the parable of the, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son. And we're thinking today about that lost son in particular. I guess of all the passages in the scripture, this is the most... Uh, appropriate maybe is the right word uh, for homecoming because it's all about coming home and, uh, and it's a great passage our Lord Jesus of course teaching and uh, this great uh, passage there's, there's a debate among scholars whether uh, these three parables are illustrating the lost coming to Christ for salvation or whether it represents uh, people who are already saved who are coming back to the Lord after being away. In particular, with the, with the one in uh, the, the third parable, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. In particular, the argument goes like this. Um, it must be someone who's already saved and drifted away because he's called a son in the passage. Um, but we're all sons of God by creation. Now the Bible doesn't emphasize that much, but you can find that thought in the scripture. Uh, what the scripture emphasizes is people who are personal sons and daughters who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. So the parable... Uh, could be uh, referring to the lost 
I think it's referring to the lost as its primary interpretation. All three parables, it's referring to uh, those who are away and come home uh, as a secondary application. But you certainly see both principles worked through these. Some people have said uh, they thought the, uh, uh, the first parable about the shepherd is referring to... Is, picturing the Lord Jesus. The second one with a coin is picturing the Holy Spirit. And the third one is picturing God the Father. I think that may be true in its number one emphasis. It certainly is beautiful to see it that way. Uh, even the Father in the prodigal son, though it would certainly apply to God the Father, could apply to the Lord Jesus. Because remember in Isaiah 9, 6, he is called wonderful counselor. He is called the everlasting father. So it would not be a bad application. Uh, also in Hebrews, Jesus speaking to the father said, referring to us as believers, he referred uh, to us as the ch my children that you've given me, he said to the father. So I don't think it would be bad to make application that the father pictures the Lord Jesus as well as God the Father. With that said, let's look at verse 1 and uh, we'll read down to that parable of the lost son and we'll come back to it. Then drew near unto him all the publicans, tax collectors who were really looked down upon by the Jewish leadership, by uh, the publicans and sinners for to hear him. Now we're all sinners but when that term is used to describe someone in the Bible, it describes someone who lives openly in sin and, uh, and is not necessarily even trying to keep the, quote, the law in that day. And, uh, and the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, and they just kept on murmuring. They kept on complaining about this, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eats with them. And, uh, and then he, the Lord Jesus, spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost, and until he find it? And when he had found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. And uh, when he cometh home, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Now we know that all people need repentance. The scripture teaches that clearly. But it also teaches there are people who do not see that they need repentance. This would be the application here. Remember Jesus is speaking this in the, in the context of the uh, hypocrisy of the Pharisees who thought they were righteous and looked down on other people, the people Jesus were ministering unto. And then the second parable, uh, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and, uh, and seek diligently until she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Then he starts this third parable, and he said, a certain man had two sons. We're going to come back and read that in just a moment. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together. Now make it profitable, I pray, 
as we look into your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. The word rejoice, or joy, or gladness, or merriment is used 11 times in these three parables, more than any other uh, individual word. The word home is used uh, three times, and uh, the word lost is used seven times, and the word found is used six times. So if you put that together, these three parables about things or people being lost and found. But predominantly, it is about joy, the joy that is experienced when someone comes home. The, uh, the joy that the person has, the joy that God has, the joy that the angels have, the joy that the friends and people around have. It brings joy when people come to know the Lord. I have here a letter that is from um, the, the ministry of Dr. Adrian Rogers at Bellevue Baptist Church all those many years. And this is someone who wrote in to him. Uh, She says, Dear Pastor Rogers, I had to write and let you know what effect your ministry has had on my life. Many times I sat and watched your program and thought that you, what you said was stupid. Uh, How you expressed Christ to me was a joke. I laughed at your God by ignoring him. He really wasn't there. I was a Satanist. I was a part of the Nazi party uh, movement. As bad as it seems, Christians were nothing more than lower life forms to myself and my friends. I didn't need your God. I sold my soul to the devil. I signed a pact with the devil with my own blood. And after doing so, I read the fine print. When I tried to get out of the group, I could have been killed. I remembered your prayer line and your church. I called the number. Someone prayed with me and sent me a Bible. I read the Bible and reread it, and I received Christ as my Savior. She says, God saved me. Why would he do that? Because I was so evil and I hurt him so badly. I had been living together with my boyfriend. He saw the change in me and he got saved as well. And now we are married. We both love the Lord so much because we see the love of the Lord for us uh, through your church and through your uh, ministry. Jesus can save anyone. He saved me. Thank you for your ministry. End of letter. Isn't that beautiful? Coming home. If you look back at your screen for a moment, I first want to talk about coming home. And by that I'm referring to people who are coming to Christ for salvation. And I'm calling that this morning coming home you don't have to be a you don't have to be a satanist to need salvation you know, I, I told you a story a few months ago about a, 
a witch that I led to the Lord up in a revival I was preaching in Massachusetts. You don't have to be a witch. You don't have to be an atheist. You don't have to be an agnostic or a skeptic to need the Lord. We all need the Lord. Every one of us are sinners, the Bible says. And all of us need to come home. So when this pictures the idea of salvation, that's the thought of what the term I'm using, coming home. Uh, coming to Christ. Let me elaborate a minute on what I am calling home. Uh, Christians have a, a family home where you live with your family. You have a church home where you worship and you, with your friends and brothers and sisters in Christ. You have a heavenly home you're going to one day. I'm not referring to any of those. I'm referring to the Lord Himself who is our home. Look back at your screen for a moment. And uh, Psalm 90 in verse 1 says this, Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place, our habitation. And that word can be and is translated home in all generations. In all generations, it's really the Lord himself who is our home. It's not a place. It's not the church necessarily, though that's the place where we might get pointed towards home. But home is, is in a relationship uh, with the Lord himself. It is too. It is the home of the soul. It is the Father's heart. It is our spiritual home. It is to rest in, live in, to be at home in the Lord's presence. Augustine said, and I quote, Man can find no rest till he finds his rest in thee, in Christ. Pascal, the French philosopher and mathematician, said there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing but only by God the Creator through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Home, home for the soul is when we are in fellowship with Him, in a relationship with Him. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says it like this, referring to the Lord Jesus, all things were made by Him and for His pleasure. Our existence right here is for His pleasure. That we would be in a relationship with Him and live a life that glorifies Him and that pleases Him. So home is in a relationship and in fellowship with the Lord. That's home. And uh, that's the home signified by these, uh, uh, these three parables. You might live in a big mansion or you might live in a little shack but you can still be spiritually at home with the Lord wherever you live and so it is coming to Christ you know this just two weeks ago on Easter we had a great day we had 551 and in those two services combined we had seven adults raise their hand indicating they had prayed with me to receive Christ indicating they had come home like this prodigal, uh, like the sheep that was found, and uh, like the coin that was found. And so, uh, first of all, there's the coming home. 
And then, if you look back at your screen for a moment, the second thought I want to share with you is, uh, give me my, there we go, home. Sorry, gentlemen, returning home. Now, the returning home is the idea, of course, that once somebody is saved, they can get out of the will of God. And in so doing, they're leaving home. They're leaving His presence and the joy that His presence brings. Uh, so, as we think about returning home, we're thinking about that person, man or woman, me or you, who slips away from the Lord because of some small sin, big sin, or just neglect, and we get away from home, away from the Lord. With that in mind, let's read now the parable of the lost son in verse 11. And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth unto me. And he divided them uh, unto them his living. Notice the word them, so he gave both of them the living. The elder son would get uh, two-thirds, because that's just that was Jewish law. And the, uh, the younger son would get one-third, so he gave them their inheritance. Now, this was an unusual thing, though under Jewish law, you, uh, a son had a right to ask for his inheritance in advance, though it was unusual. And, uh, but in the Jewish mind, it was a great insult to the father. Uh, in the Jewish mind, it was like saying to your father, I wish you were dead so I could go ahead and get my, you know, get the money out of it. Uh, and so that was the way the Jews looked at it. So this father must have been crushed. Maybe he at night would go to his room and cry. If that son ever knew it, we do not know. But he took his leave, verse 13 tells us. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous, rebellious, sinful living. And when he had spent all, there, uh, all that he had, there arose a mighty famine in the land and he began to be in want. He, he was hungry. He'd run out of money. Now he has no food and he doesn't know what to do. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, pigs, now, to a Jewish person, this is especially um, uh, disgusting. They considered pigs as unclean animals. This was the lowest a Jewish person could go, would be feeding pigs. But not only that, verse 16, And he would fain have filled his belly with a husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. He was tempted, though he knew he could not digest it, he was tempted to eat the food, he was so hungry, the pig's food. And when he came to himself, or when he came to his senses, or when he, he uh, began to understand the tragic mistake he had made, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go unto my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no longer, uh, or no more, Worthy to be called thy son, make me as one of thy hired servants. So he's going to go back home and see if his father will give him a job as a servant because the servants there lived well and had plenty uh, to eat. 
And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, the father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Isn't that a beautiful scene? That is a beautiful scene. He, uh, why did the father see him while he was so far away? I think it's because he was looking for him. I think maybe every morning before he went out in the field, he walked out to the main road adjoining to his farm and looked down the road and stood there for a few minutes looking, longing for his son to come home. Maybe when he come in from the field, he did the same thing. And, and right before he went to bed at night, he stood there and looked. And one day he was standing there looking and wishing. And he saw a, a figure at a distance. He looked all beat up and worn out and old before his days. But as he got closer, the father began to recognize him. It's him. It's him. And he had compassion. And he ran to him. Jewish, adult Jewish men don't run. It's considered undignified. But this didn't matter. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and embraced him and kissed him. What a reunion that was. Oh, listen. We break God's heart when we slip away. We break God's heart when we say to him, you don't really matter. We don't say that with our lips, but we say it with our life. But he is full of compassion, and he longs for us to come back. And as Jesus pictured that sheep, Jesus is out there uh, as the shepherd looking and drawing us. And when we're willing to come back, the Father throws his arms around us. And takes us back. What a beautiful picture. Notice in verse 21. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe. You see, the father didn't even let him finish his speech. You know, he'd been working on that speech in the earlier verses. And I imagine his whole journey home, he was working on that and polishing it up, he, how he wanted to say it. But the words didn't matter. What mattered was he'd come home. You don't have to pray it a certain way. You don't have to pray it like somebody else did. Just come home. And when you come home, the Father throws his arms around you and gives you a kiss. And then he called for the servants to bring the robe and the other things. Look at verse 22. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. That's obvious. It, it means he's not becoming a servant. He's taking his place as a son. And uh, uh, it's a beautiful picture of his, the ring, uh, authority and shoes, prosperity because uh, no one used, uh, the poor did not use shoes or the servants. And the best robe represents, of course, the royalty. And uh, uh, he's now part of that family. And, and then he says in verse 23, And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. Let us rejoice. Let us make merry and have a celebration because my son was lost and now he's found. Look at verse 24. For this son, for this my son 
was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now the rest of the story talks about the elder son. That's a, that's a sermon for another day. But I want us to think about this coming home. Uh, this returning home once, uh, once we've started down the wrong road. Think about some things with me just quickly. This father allowed his son to go. He knew it wasn't good for him. He knew it was going to cause trouble. But he allowed him to go. God has created us with a great gift that is the gift to choose. The gift of free will. And if we choose to make foolish mistakes and go in the wrong direction, he will let us go, but it will break his heart. But he will let us go. But he won't give up on us, thank God. And uh, think about this. Some people have never seen themselves in this parable because they've never been all the way to the hog pen. But I want to remind you that whether you go to the hog pen or not, leaving is leaving. Whether you're going a mile or 10 miles or 20 miles or to the next country like this was, leaving is leaving. Leaving home. That is leaving the, the presence of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Leaving the presence of God which should be uh, what brings our joy and so forth. And so, uh, leaving is leaving. What about time? How long you're gone? We don't know how long he was gone. Maybe seemed to be a pretty long time. Maybe a year or two years. I don't know. Maybe you've just been gone a day or two. Maybe you just left home yesterday. Or The Lord wants you to come back home regardless of how long you've been away from him. And then, what if you've been successful? Now in our story... The fellow who left home, he became terribly unsuccessful with material things. But what if you were, would it change the story if, if uh, he had become successful? Some people walk away from the Lord and, and make a lot of money and, you know, buy a house or two and have anything anybody could ever want. But that's not a sign that you haven't left home. Uh, you can be successful out in the world and still not have joy. The joy of the Lord and the peace of Christ in your heart. Look at, uh, back at your screen for a moment and look at these verses. In thy presence is fullness of joy. You know, it, eleven times the idea of joy, rejoicing, making merry is in this uh, chapter. Uh, it's, it's a great thread running through this whole chapter. Joy. And uh, joy, the Bible says, is in the presence of the Lord. And that's home, of course. That's what home is, presence of the Lord. These things have I spoken unto you, Jesus said, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. You get the idea? God wants us to be joyful. And, uh, and then uh, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then Second Thessalonians, Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always, by all means. That means all the time, under all circumstances, you can have peace. You may not have it, but you can have it. In all circumstances. 
whatever you're going through, the Lord be with you. And so we have this returning home. It brings joy. There's three important words that at this point I should emphasize. One is relationship, communion, fellowship, and communion. Relationship, fellowship, and communion. Relationship speaks of us coming to Christ and having a personal relationship with Him, being washed in the blood, being born again, being redeemed by the Lord Himself. Fellowship means there's nothing between my soul and the Lord. You see, you can have a relationship but not have fellowship if something's between you and the Lord. And, and then communion is when you're com actually communing with the Lord. You could actually be in fellowship and not be communing. There, maybe there's nothing really between you. You're just neglecting Him. You're just not communing with Him. All three of those words are very uh, important. You can see it illustrated in marriages. You know, marriage... Marriages... Uh, they can have a relationship, their marriage relationship, but if they're mad at each other, there's no fellowship. Therefore, there's no joy or peace in the home, you know, because there's something between the two of them. And uh, the joy and peace comes when there's nothing between us and the Lord and we're communing with Him. You know, us, us men... We, we do some dumb things. Uh, and when we do, it hurts our wives' feelings and, and it breaks the fellowship. Let me give you husbands some practical advice. For instance, on a Sunday morning when you're, when you're rushing about to get to church and you get ready first, don't go out and get in the car and start the motor and sit in the driveway and race the motor. Because if you do, there's going to be no fellowship on the way to church, no communion, no good time, no sweet talk. I asked Doug, Karen's brother, if I could tell this story. He gave me permission, though he probably is regretting it about right now. One time when they first had their children, and by the way, Doug is the most punctual person I've ever met. He's, he's, he's never late anywhere. He's usually early everywhere he goes. And, uh, and so one time, well, they were on their way, Sunday morning, on their way to church to worship, you know. And uh, so uh, Laura's getting two babies ready and so forth, and Doug's ready, and it's time to go. So Doug goes and gets in the car, just like I said, don't do. But not only that, while he was sitting in the driveway, he honked the horn. <laughs> now you wish you had not let me say this, I got you. <laughs> now, I don't know, I wasn't there, I don't know, I'm just picturing in my mind. Doug's honking the horn. Laura comes out with two babies. She's carrying one. She's got the hand of the other one. She's dragging along. She's got a big old uh, baby, what do you call those things? The uh, diaper bag with all kinds of stuff. And she's got a pocketbook that weighs 30 pounds. And <laughs> she's dragging this, you know, all this stuff, all she can carry. And she gets out to the car while Doug's sitting there honking. 
Now, I don't know what took place in there, but I imagine Laura gave Doug a look that if looks could kill, Doug would be dead today. But I can guarantee this, there was no fellowship, there was no communion, there was no joy, there was no peace on that ride to, uh, to the church. Here's another thought, man. Let's see, what time is it? Oh, we're going to feed you anyway. Uh, here, here's another thought, and that is uh, that uh, when your wife asks you how something looks, like a new outfit or something, don't say fine. You just don't, don't say fine. Now, to a man, fine is fine. You know, if I ask Karen something about what I'm wearing and she says, fine, I'm happy with that because that means my shirt's not on backward and my pants doesn't have a big old gravy stain on it or something like that, you know. So when, fine is okay for a man. But when a woman says, does this look okay or do I look okay? Don't say fine. You've got, you, you got to think harder than that. I mean, she may have been working on this for two hours, you know. When she bought it the other day, she took her three hours to make up her mind shopping. And so you've got to do better. You've got to say, oh, that is beautiful. You, you look wonderful, you know. And just, you know, you got to think. And on and on. I don't, have, I don't have time for any more. But that breaks the fellowship, you see. Your relationship... It's still the same. You're married. You're just as much married as you were yesterday. But that thing that's come between you now has hindered the fellowship and the communion so the joy is gone and the peace is gone. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, when we sin, we should confess those sins to the Lord. And when we've hurt our mate, we should apologize for those actions so that we can have the sweet fellowship and communion again together. I'm going to have to close here. I'm going to share with you one more thing, but, but we won't finish the whole message today. And that is, I, I want to tell you a story about an 82-year-old retired pastor he pastored for 50 years, and uh, after he retired, he got skin cancer and on his face. And he went through a period of time where he had 15 surgeries on his face, and his face was disfigured. And he became discouraged and depressed. His wife had passed away. Not only was he in pain all the time, but he was ashamed of the way he looked. And uh, Dr. Swindoll tells this story in his book, Laugh Again. And somebody gave this 82-year-old retired pastor a book entitled, You Gotta Keep Dancing, which was written by Tim Hansel. Tim had been in a accident, a climbing accident, and uh, he writes now regarding this man. He said, In that book, I tell of my long struggle with chronic, intense pain from a near-fatal climbing accident. In that book, I told about the day when I realized that the pain would be with me forever. At that moment, 
I made a pivotal decision. I knew that it was up to me to choose how, how I would respond to this pain. So I chose joy. Chronic pain. So he tells that story in this book that the 82-year-old retired pastor is reading. And the story, as the story goes, after reading for a while, the elderly pastor said, he put the book down, thinking, he's crazy. You can't just choose joy. So he dismissed it. Gave up on the idea. And then he came across John 15, 11. You and I read it just a moment ago on the screen. John 15, 11, where Jesus said uh, uh, that he gives us his joy. He wants our joy to be full, and he wants us to uh, have his joy. And so reading that, he realized that Jesus was offering a gift of joy to people who would take it by faith. And so he thought to himself, well, I, I don't know what to do. So he tells, I just got on my knees and said, well then, Lord, give it to me. This is what he describes. And suddenly, he says, this incredible hunk of joy came from heaven and landed on me. He writes, I was overwhelmed. It was like joy talked about in Peter, joy unspeakable and full of glory. I didn't know what to say. So I said, Lord, turn it on. Lord, turn it on. And before I knew it, I was dancing around my house, praising the Lord. He said, I felt so joyful that I actually felt like I was born again, again. But of course... He's being sarcastic there. And this astonishing change came at the age of 82. He goes on to tell then his joy was so, it was so exciting he couldn't stay home. So he goes out to a fast food restaurant to get him a hamburger. And his joy is so contagious people notice it. And so uh, someone asked him who was sitting nearby... Uh, uh, what was going on and uh, uh, what's happening and he said oh it's just wonderful and she said is it your birthday and he said no honey it's better than that she said is it your anniversary and he said no it's better than that and she said well what is it then she said with excitement he says it's the joy of Jesus and then he said do you know what I'm talking about her excitement then left her. And she said, no. And then she said a very strange thing. I have to work on Sundays. I don't know what she meant by that. But that's what she said. His point was, so few people know about the joy of Jesus. The joy that comes from being at home with the Lord. Not only in a relationship, but in fellowship and in communion with Him. 